It's good to be with you again here at Hollywell. Can I just say a few words before we look at that passage together um, about Little Hill Church? Thank you for the opportunity to, to do that. Just uh, one or two things to mention to you. We are um, encouraged, as I hope you are here, um, over the last two years. There have been such um, a strain for us all, really, but there have been blessings as well during those two, year, those two years for us. And... Um, like you here, we've known new people coming to join with us in worship, people who are glad to be with us, enthusiastic to, to join us, and that's a in, real encouragement. And um, last October, we had three people who were baptized. That's always thrilling, isn't it, to have those uh, people coming to uh, be baptized because they want to testify to their um, obedience and their union in Christ. So that was a great thing last October. Numbers are also building up in attendance, as I think they are here. You're knowing more people coming back, and uh, that's been good as well. I, I did do a head count this morning. You know, we don't take a register, do we? But I did go home and think, that was a lot of people this morning. I did count, and I think we're probably up more like 80% um, from what we were pre-COVID. So that's really good, isn't it? I don't know what you're at here. You'll go home now and start counting, won't you, how many you've got. But that's, that's great as well. For your prayers, as with you, there are still those who are not yet confident enough to come back or anxious or whatever. It would be lovely to see them back with us. Would you pray, as I'm sure you're praying here, for all of us to be back together again in our church, worshipping in person. That would be great. As I said a moment ago, we've been so blessed by the development of our tech team. That's been necessary, hasn't it, with all that we've, we've learned to do, all the live streaming and so on. And we're so glad for our tech team. But we are uh, praying and thinking as elders and deacons about how we um, we shouldn't overburden people. We don't want them to be so distracted with all the tech that they can't join in worship. So we're thinking and praying about that, how we can perhaps reduce some of, of the, the involvement or the need for the tech team and uh, others working in the church. So we, we don't overburden people. Uh, we don't want anybody to be burned out in their service of God. And then finally, it's our 50th year as a church at Little Hill. So we're going to be giving thanks in various ways this year. We've got an evangelistic weekend in June. And then we're going away for a weekend away as a fellowship in July. And then in September, we've got a Thanksgiving weekend. So will you pray with us that those occasions will be great times for us and will bring great glory to God as we rejoice in our 50 years. So thank you for your interest and for your prayers. Well, let's look back together then at God's word and um, at this passage that we had read to us, Genesis 22. We're going to be looking at this whole section and this amazing incident in the life of Abraham. And I've given a title to this sermon this evening. It's this, Faithful Obedience Leads to Big Blessings. Faithful Obedience leads to big blessings. I think that summarizes this whole passage of Scripture, this whole incident. The Christian's life is a life of faith, and it's full of tests. I'm sure if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've discovered that's the case. Life is testing for us as Christians. And maybe we could say in looking at this that none of us has been tested in such a way as this. This is such a hard test for anyone. 
And Abraham here passes the test with flying colors, we might say. And he shows what uh, the theologian Don Carson has described as stellar obedience. I'm sure you'd agree with me. Stellar obedience. And maybe as we read this passage and as you think about it, perhaps you're thinking, well, it's so up there. It's so unique what Abraham is enabled to do here in living out his life of faith, that there's nothing much I can learn from it. That would be a mistake because here we have many of the principles of the life of faith, principles that we can also put into practice. So our main theme this evening is faithful obedience, faithful obedience. And what we're going to do as we look through this passage is identify just six aspects of faithful obedience, six aspects of the life of faith. Faith is something which should show itself in action. There's no other kind of faith, actually. James, in his letter, teaches that, doesn't he? That faith is to be shown by our deeds, by our works, as we see here in this incident. So we're going to look at six brief things from this incident. And as we go through, we'll also see, we'll touch upon some foreshadowings of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, in particular his death. We'll touch on that as we go through. That's the main meat of what we're going to be doing this evening. We're going to end, though, with those the big blessings that are in this passage as well. We're going to close with a shorter point on that as well. So that's where we're going this evening. Let's launch into the passage. And before we get to those six things, I just want to say a few other preparatory things to that as we look at faithful obedience here. Abraham is tested here. And your question you might ask is this. Why is God testing this, this man at the age of 120 years that he is? Do you think that's a bit hard of God on Abraham to be testing such a man? Surely, you might think, this man, he deserves to be able to, to put his slippers on and put his feet up and smoke his pipe and take his retirement. Hasn't he been tested enough since God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees? Remember how God called him from that pagan nation and he went in obedience, not knowing where he was going? What a test that was for him. How this man had traversed those trials with, uh, in his life, such as his nephew Lot. Remember those instances? One occasion when Abraham had to go and rescue Lot and all that happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. Then all his failures, think of all that happened when he slept with his servant girl, Hagar, to try and bring about God's purposes, that mistake he made, and all the trauma at home to do with that, and having to get rid of Ishmael, whom he'd grown to love. He's been through all of that. Here he is, this old man. And here's Isaac now, the child of promise, about to enter into his majority. We think he's in his, his late teens, about to become a man, and... Abraham is probably thinking, I can sit back and let this man fulfill God's promises. And yet here comes this test that he has to sacrifice this very one God has told him is the covenant child of promise. What a big test it was. It's a reminder to us, isn't it, all of us, that the biggest tests of our faith might come in our later life. Maybe you've discovered that, some of you. We need to be ready for that. There's never any retirement in the Christian life for our faith, putting up, putting our feet up, as it were. So, there's that to think about. 
And then we see um, as he passes the test and God in verse 12 says, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Here we see that God's tests are for our sake and not for his. That is here God is saying, now I know. He's actually demonstrated to Abraham that he does fear him. That's why God tests us. To bring out what he wants to bring out in us for our good. And the best thing of all that we can discover and find in ourselves that we do indeed fear God. Not that fear that runs away from him, but that fear that, that speaks of our love for him and our reverence of him and our absolute trust in him. That's what God wants from each one of us. An absolute trust in him and a full love for him and reverence of him. And he brings it about by testing us. So we're going to focus now upon this man and his faith and his faithful obedience. But let's not move our eye from the overarching fact of it's God's at work, God who is at work here. That's who we must see here. We must remember that the God we must be glorifying through this incident as we think about it and uh, how, what God is doing here with this man. Let's not forget that. This is not about Abraham so much really as about our God and the greatness of our God. And the true fear of God that he is bringing out in Abraham here. So then let's look at these six things as we follow through. If you look down at the passage together, we're going to look through some of these verses. First of all, in verse 2, let's see that faith or faithful obedience involves being ready and responsive. Being ready and responsive. Verse 2, God speaks to Abraham. He calls to him. And Abraham responds, here I am. He's ready to do what God asks of him. And then we find in verse 3 how ready he is because the very next morning, early the next morning, he gets up and he's ready to go and obey God. Are you ready and responsive to God? First of all, are you listening for God as you read his word every day? Are you ready for the promptings of his Holy Spirit when he tells you and convicts you in your conscience that there's something you should do? Are you ready? And are you responsive? Quick to respond. To respond. You know the old hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. There's a line in that hymn. It's a great line. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. That's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? Wanting. Be never lacking there. Never lacking in response. We as Christians are to be ready to respond to God's calls upon our faith, upon our life. Just as Abraham was here. Is there a need in the church that's announced? A need on a, a rota so that the burden, as we were thinking about earlier, of work isn't falling upon the same shoulders. You know, and there's a call. We, we need help. And you sit back or step back. Or you've been in the situation, perhaps as I have, and a prayer point is announced in the prayer meeting. We need, you know, these are the prayer points. Silence. We need to be ready and responsive when God asks us, calls us to do things for him. 
I love the title of a book by Kevin DeYoung, the American preacher. And, uh, it's a book on guidance. Lots of books on Christian guidance out there. We certainly need help and guidance. But his book is a good one, because, first of all, because it's very thin, quick to read. And I love the title of it. It's the title is of the, it's the motto or the logo of Nike, you know, the sports firm. Can anybody remember what that is? Audience participation at this point. That's it. Just do it. That's the title of his book on guidance. Just do it. And his point is this, that often in Christian guidance, we might line up this option and this option and this option. And he says many of the times when we look at them, they're all fine. They're all good. They're not against the word of God. But we can be sitting back and wondering which one we should do. And his point is often what, what we should do is just do it. Choose one, any one of them, and just do it. Our problem, he says, often is not guidance. It's obedience, being ready and responsive to God in our obedience. So, first of all, faith and faithful obedience is ready and responsive. Then again in verse 2, we see that faith only grows strong by strong testing. We see that in this instant incident as well. Or as Spurgeon has put it, great hearts can only be made by great troubles. That's how we we grow in our faith and our love for God. Our hearts grow by strong testing. It might even say here in verse 2, is God rubbing it in? See what he says to Abraham, take your son. And I imagine Abraham might think, oh, perhaps he means Ishmael. No, your only son. See, Ishmael is out of God's mind, out of the picture. He's not the chosen one. No, take Isaac. And it says more, doesn't it? Whom you love. In fact, the Hebrew says even more that than that. It says, whom you have grown to love. You see, that adds to it, doesn't it? You see, when our children are born, you know, when you have a, hold a baby, anyone's baby. I love babies. You hold a baby. And it's lovely, isn't it? A baby is just cute and adorable. Most people think so anyway. But then as they grow up, your children, you grow to love them and their ways and their personality. You grow to love them more. And here's Isaac. You can imagine how he felt about Isaac. The son he'd been waiting for all this time, now grown to a man. And he has to, he's challenged to do this to Isaac. Take this son whom you've grown to love. Here's a question. Are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of God, the things you cherish most. See, here in this instant, actually, the wonderful thing is that God may not take those things from us if he sees that we are willing to give them up. God will take sometimes the will for the deed. It's what happens here for Abraham. He sees that it's in his heart to do this. He's willing to give up Isaac. I know somebody who, as many, a man who wanted to get married. And he prayed about it, a Christian man. He prayed and he prayed and set his heart on that and was disappointed year in, year out. And then there came the point he realized that nothing seemed to be happening and all doors seemed to be closed. And he deliberately decided to lay it before God and pray and give up his desired wish to God. Because it's not for everybody, is it? He realized that. Scripture teaches that. Marriage isn't for everybody, and uh, 
He decided this must be it, and he gave it up to God. He was willing to do that. And God took the will for the deed, and pretty soon afterwards, he found somebody who became his wife. God did that for him because he was willing to to give up his desire. Now, I'm not promising you that if you do that, God will do that for you if you're looking for a husband or a wife. But you get the point of what I'm saying. And our faith in these testings grows strong only by such strong testing. So faith is ready and responsive. Faith grows strong by strong testing. And then verse 3, faith is careful and diligent. Faith is careful and diligent. See what it says here. How in obedience to God, he rose early, early in the morning. He got up to do this deed. And he saddled his donkey. And he took with him two of his servants. And he made sure there was enough wood cut. Probably got the servants to do that, but he made sure it was done. Got his son up and made sure all was ready so he could set off. He was careful and diligent to make sure he had everything he needed to obey God. And in contrast, isn't it true that so often we can be very sloppy in our service of God? Why didn't I get to worship this morning? Well, I, I... Somebody said to me today, actually said to us, you know, I, I got up and I started off, but then I bumped into my neighbor and we got into conversation and then, oh, it was too late and oh, I didn't set the alarm. Oh, and I didn't put it down in my diary and you know, I forgot the midweek meeting, whenever your midweek meeting is. And We're not careful of now. We are diligent about the things that matter in life, that are important in life, in our service of God. We are to be careful and diligent about our faithful obedience to God. And then verse 4, faith must be patient and persevering. And Spurgeon adds in comment here as well, willing to bear suspense. Faithful, uh, Faith must be patient and persevering and willing to bear suspense. Are you willing to bear suspense in your life? The life of faith is like that, isn't it? God doesn't tell us everything he's doing with us. The secret things belong to God, says Deuteronomy 29, 29. He doesn't let us always into his secrets of what he's doing with us. And so we have to be patient and persevering and be able to bear the suspense. Just think of Abraham here, verse 4. He traveled for three long days. I'm saying that. They must have been long and agonizing days for him, each step of the way, knowing what he had to do. Now, isn't that a word to our generation? This generation is the instant generation, isn't it? You know, the same-day Amazon delivery generation. You know, we want it today, don't we? Or tomorrow. And that's not how God deals with us and develops us. We've got to be patient and persevering in our Christian lives. And Abraham had already learned something of that when he set out from Ur of the Chaldees because he had to set out not knowing where he was going. And isn't that the Christian life? It's a day at a time, a step at a time. You don't know how life will change and what's around the next corner. So that demands trust of us, doesn't it? And patience and perseverance. And then verse 5, faith speaks the truth in love. Now this is a bit more nuanced, but bear with me. Have a look down at the passage. There are two 
aspect here of the story, two parts of it, where there is speech. Abraham speaks to the servants and he speaks to his son Isaac. And uh, from one aspect, from one angle you might say, does he tell the truth to them here? And I would say that he does tell the truth, but he speaks the truth in love. See what I'm saying here. Look down at verse 5. Here are his poor servants following, uh, following him and uh, carrying the wood or whatever with the donkey. And he says, verse 5, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We'll worship and then we'll come back to you. Is he telling the truth? He's certainly not telling them what God has told him he has to do. But he's definitely telling them the truth. See, if you read in Hebrews 11, verse 19, there's a comment on this incident where we're told there that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead if he committed this deed. So it's literally true. He believed that they would go over there and worship. He would commit the deed and then that somehow God would raise Isaac. He'd be able to return to the servants. So he's telling them the truth. But he's not telling them everything at this point. Because that would not be helpful for them. It would traumatize them. Similarly, where Isaac, in verse 8, speaks. And in verse 7, Isaac says to him, Father, Abraham, the, the fire and the wood are here. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answers and says to him, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. In fact, the Hebrew is literally... God sees before him the lamb for the sacrifice. In parenthesis, in brackets, unspoken. And I'm afraid, son, it's you. See, he tells the truth. He just doesn't tell him the whole of the truth at this point. Because, can you imagine how that would have been for Isaac to be told what was to happen? It wouldn't have been helpful, would it? Now here, I think, is a lesson for us, isn't it? It's not always right to tell everybody everything at every moment of time, everything we know. There's wisdom required. We're to speak the truth. And Paul says that, doesn't he? Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Abraham here is very kind and loving to his son and to the servants. And that's a lesson for us, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, sometimes we can say things that we're not wise they're true, but we can just blurt it all out at a time when it's not good or to a person who's not ready to take that information. And it was true in other ways as well. Abraham was a prophet, though he didn't perhaps know it. He sp speaks here more than he knew, as prophets often do. In chapter 20, verse 7, God says to Abimelech of Abraham, for he is a prophet. Abraham was a prophet. And here where he speaks of God providing the sacrifice, literally God did, didn't he? Provided the ram and even further into the future provided the Lord Jesus Christ who is symbolized here by this in this incident, the sacrifice that God provided. So it's not always right, is it, to tell everybody everything? Now, here's a, a risky thing to tell you uh, that I think is pertinent, a story from when our son Joe was a little boy. And um, I, he was perhaps just started school, very young, and he was in the bath, and he was there enjoying the bubbles and his boats and so on. His dad was there giving him a bath, and he says to he said to his, his dad, he said, um, "Daddy, what's sex?" Okay, here's the moment. 
to show my parental worth. The moment has come earlier than I thought. Here's that moment. I'm about to open my mouth. And thankfully, my very wise wife has heard the conversation behind the bathroom door and she strides in and she says, it's about whether you're a boy or a girl, Joe. Now it's time to get out of the bath. (laughs) You see, he wasn't ready for that information that I was about to give him. And sadly, it has to be said in our society as a diversion, you know, that's a problem, isn't it? That children are told things too young. They don't need to know, do they? So there's a lesson for us. But faith, it involves control of the tongue, doesn't it? Self-control. James, read the letter of James, how important it is. If we can learn to control this, we can learn to control other aspects of our life and parts of our body and what we do with them. Control our tongues. Faith speaks the truth in love. And then, verse 9, faith includes Passive obedience. I said at the beginning, didn't I, the the fact that faith is only to be shown in action. You know, it's no good just saying, you know, I've got faith and, you know, you've got good theological mind and you can say the right things. Faith is to be shown in action. But it's also true that faith includes a passive obedience. We see it here, particularly in Isaac, yielding submissively to his father's will, being bound and laid on the altar. Don't you think that's remarkable? What a trust and love he had for his father that he allowed him to do that. There's no sense of him fighting with his father or resisting. He goes as a lamb to the slaughter, just as the Lord Jesus Christ went in obedience to his father's will, as a lamb to the slaughter. And just as the Lord Jesus in Gethsemane prayed that prayer, didn't he? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Submission, passive obedience. See here, it's very touching, isn't it, in in the end of verse 8. And the two of them went on together, Abraham and Isaac, the son and the father, in harmonious steps towards this terrible altar that was to be built. In a sense, it reminds us of the cross, doesn't it, how the Lord Jesus went in lockstep with his father, both of them in agreement about what was to happen to the cross. And much in the Christian life depends on passive obedience and on submission to God. Children are to submit to their parents as unto the Lord. Wives to husbands in marriage. Women to men giving authoritative teaching in the church, elders and pastors. That's what the scriptures teach. But all men and women to the elders of a church who have oversight, submission, and all of us to one another. The scripture teaches that as well. Submission to each other. And all with the highest model of all to follow. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus, submitting to his Father. So then there are six things concerning this incident of faithful obedience. Faith is ready and responsive. Faith only grows strong by strong testing. Faith is careful and diligent. Faith must be patient and persevering. Faith speaks the truth in love. And faith includes passive obedience, submission. Let's close with the big blessings at the end here. 
Let's round things off. Verse 14. The faith of Abraham and uh, Isaac too must have been so strengthened by this incident when God provides this ram for the sacrifice. What a relief it must have been to them both when God provided the ram for the sacrifice. So impressed was Abraham by what happened that he named the place the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. And we're told here in verse 14, it became a kind of saying, a motto in Israel. The Lord will provide. It's a good one, isn't it? It's a true one. The Lord will always provide for his people. That's a big blessing to know that, isn't it? And then verse 17, we have here repeated, reiterated the covenant promises God had made in the past to Abraham. You read them in chapter 12 and chapter 15. Here they are again. Multiple offspring. Abraham, you can have a family that will grow into a nation, the nation of Israel. Verse 17 tells us, I'll bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. They're going to conquer their enemies. They're going to have the promised land. They're told, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. But then look at verse 18. This is the biggest blessing of all. This is the gospel promised to Abraham and to us. Verse 18. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. That's why we're here this evening, isn't it? Because... Through this family line, because Isaac lived and the family grew and the nation grew and then through that people came Christ, the Saviour. Here where we read in verse 18 of offspring, Galatians 3 verses 16 and 17 make clear it's speaking of offspring singular. And that person was Christ, says Paul in Galatians 3. How all of this must have anchored the faith of Abraham and Isaac for the rest of their days. And it should anchor our faith as well, shouldn't it? To know these things. The fact that the Lord has provided our salvation in Jesus. Romans 8.32 was alluded to in prayer. It's a wonderful verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? All things you need for life and godliness. He's given you Christ as your Savior. He'll give you all things you need for the rest of your days into eternity. He is the guarantee of all we need. In him, we have everything. Faithful obedience then leads to blessing, big blessing. The blessing we have in Christ. Because our God is the Lord who will provide. He's provided him for us. He provide everything else we need. That's a good motto to have for life, isn't it? The Lord will provide. 